Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where I continue talking to a few people who've had a thing or two to do with legendary DJ Uncle Ray, who's just retired after more than 70 years in the business. A quick recap, Ray Cadero was born into a Hong Kong Portuguese family in Wan Chai in 1924. He learned the drums as a refugee in Macau during the Second World War and after stints as a prison officer and bank clerk would join Rediffusion on the radio side in 1949. In 1960, he became a producer of Light Entertainment at Radio Hong Kong, taking over as head of Light Entertainment in 1970. From 1970 onwards, he had the long-running popular programme All the Way with Ray. He retired on May the 14th after a final week of music on the radio at the age of 96. He's just published his autobiography, also called All the Way with Ray. Later in the programme, I'll be talking to Andy Chow, who's assisted Uncle Ray for many years, and I'd like to give him a big public thank you. But first, Scotsman Derek Curry first came to Hong Kong in 1970 as a young professional footballer here to join the football team, the Hong Kong Rangers. He also famously was the reason that Uncle Ray stormed out of an interview with Rod Stewart. Derek talks to me from his home in Bangkok. When I first arrived in Hong Kong, the clubhouse at Hong Kong Rangers has, it was a bit a bit spartan. It wasn't until I managed to find my own digs that I could be a bit more comfortable. And then I could, uh, before I went to bed, I would switch on the radio and here was this guy, Uncle Ray. As a matter of fact, he used to be in the last voice I used to hear most nights when I went to bed. And the songs, I must admit, because he played some good old songs, and it was a time when CCR was a big thing, Creedence Clearwater and the, fi- the Five, all up around the bend and all the great songs. And to be honest with you, they used to play some of the songs I loved, and I even liked some of the older songs as well. <laughs> So it fitted in with your, you know, as you say, it was the kind of music that you liked. I think also what I get from a, a lot of people is just that he was a bit rather a comfort to them as well, you know, not just he the music was, It was a nice, it was like, it was like the nice mellow touch, you know, he just had that just nice mellow voice, easy, just what you wanted to hear before you were going to bed. It's smooth, quiet voice, relaxing. They played good music. Wasn't it? That was in the early 70s and, of course... Hong Kong being what it was in those days, everybody got to know each other, so it wasn't long before actually I got to know the Cadero and was in his company quite a few times. If I jump you forward to, you you still haven't been here so long, but in 1974, you had a football match with a with a couple of pop stars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. It was, I think it was, it was the beginning of the year, it was January 74, and I was sitting in the Lee Gardens Hotel and I was talking to two uh, Gus Eady and Brian Harvey, a couple of fellow footballers, and uh, we're talking football. And the next minute, we're we're dwarfed with these two giants standing over us, and they said, uh, "Could we uh, could we join your conversation?" So we we looked up, and we instantly recognised it was Rod Stewart. And before we could say anything else, the other guy said, "No, he would. Nice to meet you." 
And, uh, of course, as uh, everybody knows, Smudge Stewart's just a fanatic about football. He wasn't a bad player when he was young himself. So, as we got talking, he said, you couldn't arrange a kickabout. And I said, yeah, we can get one done tomorrow. I'll get a ball, get a few of the boys, and we'll walk down the Happy Valley because it's not far from the Lee Gardens Hotel. So that was all set the next day. And then the next day, I meet him outside uh, the hotel, him and Lonnie Wood, and I said to him, uh, OK, you just had your press conference. How did it go? And he said, oh, it went well. And I think you know the story. <laughs> Rod Stewart, spiky blonde hair, red tartan trousers, seen as a sex symbol and beloved by many women, but you weren't that enamoured with him. Uh, he was here in Hong Kong to perform, and there was a terrific press conference with a long table with everybody taking part in the interview. After the interview, there were three personal interviews, one from English newspaper, one from Chinese newspaper, and, and myself, the three of us. So I was standing there with my tape recorder waiting to meet him. But what I didn't know was that Derek Curry, who played who played football for the Rangers in those days, he's from Scotland as well. He knows uh, Ross Stewart loves soccer, so he arranged a soccer game for for Ross Stewart, which I didn't know about. And Rod was already very agitated. He was excited to, to leave. He wanted to go and play soccer, so came to me. He was sitting in the sofa. I was standing up, and he looked up at me. He said, "I'll give you two minutes." I said. Rod, I don't need your two minutes, and I don't need you. I just got up and walked away, and everybody was shocked. <laughs> Uncle Ray's ever behaved like that. <laughs> how, how can can you imagine two minutes? What can I possibly get out of him? So it's, it's just a waste of time. I was really mad when he said that, so I stopped playing his record for six months. And then after that, of course, I I, I thought, well, here's Rod Stewart. You know, why not? <laughs> so started to play his music again. <laughs> It was, a, it was a few years later when I bumped into the, I can't remember, and they call exactly when, but we were having a chat, and Lord Stewart's name came up, and he said to me, yeah, Lord Stewart, he says, uh, you know, he's talking to a couple of journalists, and then he turns to me and he says, I'll give you two minutes. And I said to me, he didn't know at the time, I said, uh, I have to put my hand up here because it was my fault. <laughs> Rod Stewart, Ronnie Wood, do you remember anything about the match? Oh, very well. We we went down there and there was a couple. There was a lot of young boys down there and they were all looking at us and all. And uh, they said, "Oh, that's oh, that's so and so, that's so and so." And they all recognised as Chinese boys. And and I went over to one of them and I said, "Look, can we have a kick about with you? We've got two guys here and we want to see how they are. And a couple of friends. We want to see if they've got any ability, because uh, the local kids did not know Lonnie Wood and Lord Stewart for a bar of soap. I mean." If it had been Loman Tam or somebody else, that's different. Uh, but, I mean, Rod Stewart in those days wasn't well known in Asia. Maybe in America he was in Australia, but certainly not in Hong Kong in 74. Three or four years later, everybody knew him. So we had a kickabout, and uh, we had great fun. We just There was about 12 of them and about six of us, and we just had a bit of fun. And actually, Rod Stewart was quite good. He was quite, you know, he knocked the ball. Well, uh, Woody, I would have to say, 
as somebody mentioned, he was a bit leggy. He looked a bit like Bambi on ice, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Did you star in a film with Uncle Ray? Well, I don't I think you yeah, can over the top when you said star. It was hardly an Academy Award winning effort or supporting actor. But yes, Cinema City made a movie in 1983. It was a bit of a, a spoof in Casablanca. 1940s at a time in Hong Kong, a parody in Casablanca and it was done by Cinema City and he had all the characters in Hong Kong lined up to play various parts in the movie. The The main stars was uh, Brigitte and them and George Lamb and it was directed by Terry and Aubin and T Terry had a role in the movie as well. Anders was there, Joe Jr, Sandra Lang and of course Uncle Ray. And myself and Walter Gerard were invited in to the movie as well. And we had to play the part as two German spies, Gestapo. And what was Uncle Ray? He was a go-between. He was... I don't want to spoil the plot for those who haven't seen it, so I can't tell you too much, you know? I mean, I'm not going to spoil the story in the movie, so you, you'll have to go on and find out. <laughs> ah, he was the go-between. That's all you're going to tell us. Now, if we, <laughs> if we ju jump a little bit of time, you and Uncle Ray also share a love of horse racing. Yeah, oh, I mean, I know Uncle Uncle Ray because he was he was pally with Johnny Cruz, who was the father of Tony Cruz, and, and we all knew each other who, and the brother Derek as well. So we knew the family well and the Portuguese connection, and Ray was a big fan of the the horses as I was. And uh, and then one day in '97, I think it was in May or June or something, we're 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 at Chatin Race Course. And we're, and we're lined up for a 1,400-metre race, and we're both in the owner's box. His horse is called uh, We Know When, and my horse is called Casey's Drum. His horse is trained by John Moore, and mine was by David Hill. So the two of us are wishing each other all the best for the race. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was good days, happy days, and, and they had that horse... Uh, we know when for, I think he had it at race for about five or six years and it changed different stables and won about five different races. But it was, it was good fun, the two of us uh, standing there in the paddock shouting on my horse coming down the home straight. And who won? No, well, my, I can say my horse finished a, a couple of places ahead of uh, Uncle Ray's. <laughs> Do you have a personal message for Uncle Ray? I would say from one old friend to another, it's the end of an era. But not a legend. My thanks to Derek Curry there, who I'm looking forward to chatting with again. Another time to hear more about his professional football career here. Before he retired last week, Uncle Ray had been the DJ for the weekday night programme All the Way with Ray for more than 50 years. And there, to help him in more recent years, but also back in the mid-1980s, was Andy Chow.
It was 1985. I was told by a friend that Uncle Wei was recruiting a studio assistant. You know, in the 1980s, working at a radio station is some sort of privilege to youngsters because at that time, music and TV was still the main source of entertainment, to, especially to the young people. That's why I applied the job and I got the job. And Uncle Ray was very nice to young people and he always taught me, don't do that, that's incorrect. Uh, you need to, uh, if you want to reach life, you need to be optimistic, you need to be positive, you need to have a clear objective as to what you want to do in life. And I worked there until 1988. Then I switched to a cellular operator in Hong Kong. So tell me, 85 to 88, you were his studio assistant. Yes. And that's all the way with Ray or other... Yeah, all, that, that was all the way with, with Ray. And that was very different from 20 years later. In that period, I still remember there were a lot of Filipinos calling in in the evening because as what I just said radio and television were the main source of entertainment at that period so we received a lot of phone calls not only from from the Chinese but also from the Filipinos I know they were homesick they just wanted to dedicate a song to the family in the, in the Philippines. And that was very interesting. Mm -hmm. And I worked there for three years. And so what would you be doing? You'd be taking the phone well, calls? I took calls. I took the phone calls. I answered the phone calls and I marked down the request. And then I need to run, uh, rush to the library and search the record and, and pass, pass it to Uncle Ray to play the request. At night? And, yeah, at night. And we need to finish, uh, we, we need to find the record in three minutes. <laughs> Because you know that most of the 60 songs are, are quite, are very short, are less than three minutes in duration. <laughs> so we need to do everything very quickly. <laughs> so you're running around Unlike to the today, we have, the, we have yeah. our own database, we can search uh, whatever we like from the computer. That was a very different period. So you're actually literally putting a record on a turntable. Yes. Yes, wow. I need to run into the library and search the catalogue. Then look for the record and <laughs> at the rack, <laughs> from the rack, and then uh, rush back to the studio. <laughs> but gradually, I mean, I know later on that uh, there was a whole period where Uncle Ray was pre, and this is obviously pre-MP3s, pre-studio uh, database. Uh, yeah. You've got the next phase, which is him yeah. carrying the I CDs. I helped him to build the database. Oh, right, right. <laughs> I helped him to, build a, to start building the database in year 2000, yes. in the internet era. But, I mean, prior to that, he's carting a load of CDs in, isn't he? Yes. Wow. Well, you know, you can't handle all requests, uh, especially at night time. But you know what songs are popular and has a bigger opportunity. People will dedicate that song to the loved ones. So we have a lot of compilations, vinyl, CDs, everything, everything put in the back compartment of his car. <laughs> and, and eventually the suspension <laughs> was damaged. <laughs> yes, I mean, I had to, I'm sorry, but when he said it in his book, I, I did sort of laugh. You know, the records and the, and the companies were so heavy. You know, it's, it's much heavier than books, especially the vinyl records, because they, they, they are made by plastics. You can imagine <laughs> that if you're trying to cut Together with the paper uh, packing, <laughs> it's heavy. <laughs> When I came back from BBC actually in 64, uh, that's when I brought the pop music, uh, started the pop music in Hong Kong. My biggest audience, all of them are in the age of uh, 50 to 60 years, so they grew up with my kind of music, pop music of the 60s. 
It's a four-hour segment, four-hour program, uh, divided into two segments. And the first one is all mostly pop. When I say pop, I, I mean just people like Beatles, Presley, Cliff Richard, etc., etc. That's from 10 until midnight. And then from midnight until 2 is nostalgia. But the bags of CDs at the back of my car, in my trunk, you know. And I have to, each night I'll, I'll bring in a, a different bag. So you get different kind of music every night. Papa's got a brand new bag. Join Ray Cadero all the way with Ray, weeknights at 10 on Radio 3, and lap up the memories. Those were the good old days. Now, Andy Chow, you join Uncle Ray in mm -hmm. from 85 to 88. Uh, you start working with him as a studio yeah. assistant, and then you're going to join him again a number of years later. So in between, you're a, did you say, cellular operator? Yeah. What's I work that? with Hutchison Telephone, ah, okay. a, a, a local cellular operator, and they were very famous in the, in the 1980s. Yes. <laughs> and then you come back to Uncle Ray. Yes. So you joined him again in what year? I became his godson soon after I joined him in 1985. And uncle always taught me, you, you need to be optimistic in life. Otherwise, you will be very unhappy. Then after I've worked in the telecommunication, actually for quite a long period, from 1988 until 2006. But during that period, I still helped uncle Ray in other areas. Whatever he needs someone's help, he will, he will call me. And then how do you mean um, you were his godson? Well, because uh, my parents uh, passed away when I was a teenager, okay? And uncle treats me very good, treats me like his son. Whenever I have a problem, I will talk to him, and if he can, he will help me to solve uh, the problem. Uh -huh. And the relationship built, built gradually, because after 10 years working in the uh, cellular business, I moved to the international long-distance telephony services with Colin Wolf and stayed there for a few years. Then I noticed the IDT service business was a dying business in that period because it's already in the internet era. You know, you can use WhatsApp to communicate with people free of charge and to call people. Why pay money for IDT calls? That's why I decided it's the right time to pull out. Then I, I retired in, in 2007. Then I moved back and continue to help Uncle Ray for his night show until May 14th this year, last week. <laughs> so you were helping him every day? Yes. Not helping him for the whole night. No. Okay. No, I, you would help set him up, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah. I helped him to set up all the equipment, the computer, get, get everything done correctly. Then I helped him for his first, first hour, the request section. And then you'd come back and collect him later on? Yeah. Ah, okay. Uh -huh. With his dog. Yes. With his doggy Bobo. <laughs> yes, the little before, white Pomeranian. Yeah, and, and before he has another doggy called Bobo. It's also a white dog, but it's a Pekingese. <laughs> so you have been, as you say, partnering up with Uncle Ray over these years from 85 mm -hmm. to 88 and then from 2007 onwards, although you were mm -hmm. assisting before with setting up the database and mm -hmm. other jobs. Now, are you a, a big music person yourself? Oh, yes. If I don't like music, I won't join him as his assistant in 1985. And you know, he should have a more comprehensive collection of rhino records. And because of me, well, I can say I killed quite a lot of his rhino records in the 80s and 90s because I'm not a collector. He is a collector, but I'm not a collector. I'm just a consumer. 
<laughs> a wine of consumer. I don't know how to handle it with care. <laughs> oh no, you killed them, you said. Yes. <laughs> And he you know, still talks to you. Yeah, you know, in the past, we don't have the knowledge. We need to clean the vinyl. We need to use a washing machine to clean it. We don't know it. We thought, oh, it sounds bad, so it's, it's, it's useless. We just throw it away. So you actually have a machine to clean vinyl? Yes, nowadays we have a machine to clean the vinyl, and it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so you you learnt all of those skills, yeah, but, um... but too late. <laughs> <laughs> I throw away a lot. <laughs> <laughs> So at the age of 96, Uncle Ray and yourself now, uh, in, in terms of, of, of stopped all the way with Ray. And, uh, and that was obviously uh, a long running program of 51 years. He'd had a broadcasting mm -hmm. career of uh, more than 70 years. So what now? As what Uncle mentioned in his retirement announcement, okay, quitting from radio doesn't mean he has to stop everything. Okay, he will still move forward apart from promoting his paperback autobiography. He also needs to work on his ebook and he wants to record for his audiobook. Oh, so that's he's what, got plenty to do then. Yeah, the, <laughs> that's, that's quite a lot for, a, yes. uh, for an elderly at the age of 96. Now, because I mean, that's really something I haven't mentioned particularly on, on the programme yet is that, of course, Uncle Ray has come out with his autobiography. It's called All the Way with Ray, my autobiography, and is full of um, wonderful photographs right mm. from that go right back to the end of the 1940s and, of course, earlier with him and his family. Mm -hmm. So did you help him put that together? I would say, okay, Uncle prepared the original draft of his autobiography in uh, back in year 2002. And all the stories uh, about his family, the Second World War, Radio Hong Kong, Radio Fusion, the MBE story, the Guinness World Record story, almost everything are there. But I would say that is something like an average version so by the time he decided to work on his, uh, con to continue his autobiography, then we found a co-writer to help us because we wanted to do it in, uh, in British style. So we found Grammy, who was an English teacher. By the time Grammy revised the draft, then we pass it back to Uncle Ray and Uncle will correct whatever is incorrect and add something uh, he remember but was missing in the book. This is how we uh, work it out. Yeah, well, no, it's a good book. Mm -hmm. And uh, now, where can people buy it in Hong Kong? Okay, in Hong Kong, people can buy it at designated 7-Eleven store, Bocassine, and also we have an online store, U-Shop, uh, operated by Universal Hong Kong. Yes, because I'm sure that uh, Hong yeah. is so well-loved, it's not going to just be in Hong Kong, I'm yeah, sure it's going to be... Yeah, he has a lot of friends yeah. already migrated to overseas yes. <laughs> a long, long time ago. So they're going to And I think they, would, they, they love the book because the book is very different from the interviews Uncle did with other reporters in the past. It includes his family issues when he, uh, when he was only a little boy. Family School issues life. like what? Uh, family issued, you know, uh, father left the family when he was only five and most of his fans are not aware when uncle was young, he, he has a major problem, stuttering. The 1930s depression.
A time when many people were without jobs, money and food were scarce, and people looked to music for inspiration. In the 1940s, World War II caused great social upheaval and music was keeping the spirits high of more people than ever because of the influence of radio. The 1950s, seatbelts were introduced, Disneyland opened, NASA was founded, and wonderful new inventive music dominated the charts and the jukeboxes. And then it all changed. would never be the same. Many believe that this would be the end of music as we know it, the end of those wonderful memories of a time gone by, lost forever. But they, of course, were wrong. We're reliving the magic of the 30s, 40s and 50s right now on Radios 3 and 4. It's time for Uncle Ray's Music Nostalgia. To someone who has been in the industry for seven, over 72 years, you know, to him, all music are pop music because they, <laughs> he went through all this era. <laughs> you know, but when he was young, uh, in the 1920s, uh, in the 1930s, big band dominated the music yes. world. Then later on, uh, they, they move into walk and roll. Just let me hear some of that rock and roll music. Any old way you choose it. Got a backbeat, you can't lose it. Any old time you use it. It's gotta be rock and roll music. If you wanna dance with me. If you wanna dance with me. I have no kick And then they have the mercy bit and, and all sorts of different music uh, appear. Yeah, Mercy Beat. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, and Mercy Beat was a uh, was was a hit uh, by the Beatles. Now, last week on Hong Kong Heritage, I played Tony Bennett. Uh -huh. And, and uh, the very thought of you, which oh. Uncle Ray had said was, if he was put on a desert island, uh -huh. is the one song that he would take yeah. with him. So Andy Chow, if 